Well, I almost feel, I almost feel guilty getting up here, and uh, <laughs> oh wow, that would spoil the evening for sure if I did that. Well, open your Bibles to the Book of Jonah. Book of Jonah. We are on a journey with Jonah. I'll give you a little time to get there and uh, very short chapter, so we shouldn't be here more than an hour or so, I wouldn't think, but uh, <clears throat> we've already considered Jonah's uh, duty, his responsibility, the fact that God called him, sent him on a mission, and uh, by the way, we all have certain responsibilities uh, in our relationship with God, and, and we need to take those serious. Not only have we considered his duty, but also his disobedience. He, God had one plan, and Jonah had another plan. He wasn't on the same page one with another, and consequently, as a result of that, he disobeyed the Lord, and... Uh, that led to Jonah's discipline, and uh, now we find Jonah in a, uh, in a bad situation. Well, tonight in chapter 2, we're going to look at Jonah's deliverance, and over the years I've been amazed by the way that God has changed people. There are some that seem to be beyond hope met someone like that, it might have been a friend, a relative, someone you prayed for them, you witnessed to them, you tried to encourage them, and it seemed like the, the harder you tried, the worse it got, and finally you concluded, well, they're just hopeless. Well, we've also seen those times where through a series of events that God brought about a glorious transformation. And that's what we're about to see here in this story. Jonah has disobeyed the Lord. He's paying a high price for doing so. And the story begins in verse number 1 with his desperation. Now remember, all of this tonight has to do with his deliverance. But notice how the deliverance began. And that's with desperation. Verse number 1, And then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God, out of the fish's belly. Now, notice the first word of this chapter because it's very important. Then. That's connecting this verse with everything that has gone before. Remember, Jonah ran from God. Then Jonah was caught in the storm. Then Jonah was thrown overboard. Then Jonah was swallowed by a fish, then Jonah was plunged into the depths, and then Jonah prayed. Isn't that just like man? So many times we neglect our, our prayer, so many times that we neglect God until suddenly tragedy strikes. And long as we have good health, lots of money, Lots of friends to rely upon. You know, we get the idea that we're doing quite well without God. 
and then. When I think of that word, there, there are several things that come to mind, but whenever I think about it, I, the name Naomi comes to my mind and her story. And what a sad story it was, how that Naomi and her family left the place where God wanted them to be, went into a different place, and as a result of that, her husband died, and then her two sons married the Moabite women, and then the two sons died. So now her support has been taken away in the person of her husband. Her joy has been taken from her in the person of her children. And then, the Bible says, then she arose that she might return from the country of Moab. Then, after losing everything, then she decides it's time to go back home. It's time to do what God wants me to do. And how sad it is that we wait until tragedy strikes before we really get serious about what God wants us to do. Then Jonah prayed. Now I've been talking about the negative side of that. He waited until then after all of these bad things had happened. But on the positive side is thank God he did pray. You know, he could have got in that situation like some have, and even then they still do not pray. Even then they still do not turn to God. But notice, then Jonah prayed. And let me tell you, at this point, prayer was his only hope. I mean, this is the one thing above everything that he needed to do. I think about Hannah. The Bible says Hannah prayed for a son. David prayed for mercy. Elijah prayed for rain. Hezekiah prayed for a longer life. Bartimaeus prayed for his sight. Peter prayed for help. Paul prayed for grace. And all of those folks prayed and received what they were praying for. Listen, that ought to be an encouragement to us that we pray not only in a time of need, but most certainly when we are in a time of need. So many times we just seemingly expect God to do something about our situation, send us relief, meet our needs, change our situation without ever being desperate enough that we actually go to God in prayer. There's a difference between saying your prayers and really praying. And I'll tell you, there's no fun and games here for Jonah. He is serious, he is desperate, and he is praying. Now, notice beginning in verse number 2, we see his declaration. And there's several things here in this declaration that he makes. And let me tell you, if ever there is a time that you ought to listen to someone, it's whenever they're speaking out of experience. And the first part of the declaration he makes has to do with his affliction. Notice he says in verse 2, And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Now notice, he says, I cried by reason 
of mine affliction. This is the thing that brought him to that place of prayer. But notice the next words. He says, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. You know, there's a big difference there. A lot of people cry about their afflictions. They whine about their problems, but they're talking to their neighbor. They're talking to somebody else. They're just complaining about their situation. But here we find he cried by reason of his affliction, but his cry is directed unto the Lord. Boy, when you think about afflictions, they can come in various sorts and sizes, and God knows how to get our attention. You know what might be an affliction to one person, to somebody else might not be a big deal. But whatever it is, God knows where to put his finger on the sore spot in your life so as to awaken you as to your need. Uh, I think about the psalmist. He said, before I was afflicted, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Now, Generally, we think it's a whole lot better if we can avoid affliction altogether, right? But the psalmist said, it's good for me to have been afflicted because now I've learned to keep God's statutes. As I said this morning, when we think about God's grace being sufficient for our needs, so many times we think, well, that's just second best. It would be a whole lot better if we could escape our trials, if we could avoid them altogether, if we could get out of them. That would be better, but, you know, that's just our natural way of thinking, right? But that doesn't make it right. God has a better plan, and God knows it's better to leave us in our affliction. God knows it's better to cause us to suffer at times and then to do that and to make His grace sufficient to strengthen us through it. It was good for me to have been afflicted, the psalmist says. And Jonah here, notice he's crying out by reason of his affliction, but he's crying out unto the Lord. I mean, this, listen, this is a painful thing, but it's a good thing because Jonah is now awakened. And then he speaks about his assurance. Notice in verse number 2 again, he says, Thou heardest my voice. Now, wait a minute. He's still in the fish's belly. And he says, Thou heardest my voice. And he is praying that God will help him. And now, some way or another, he has the assurance that God heard him, but he's still in that same situation. I don't know if you've ever experienced that or not. I hope so. But times whenever you have a need in your life and you pray about it again and again and again, and finally... Finally, God doesn't change anything other than your attitude, and He changes your attitude because He gives you assurance in some way that it's going to be all right. And suddenly, you know, all of the problems are still there, but suddenly you have a peace that passeth all understanding because now you have an assurance. And so... Here Jonah is in the same situation. He's in the belly of the whale. He still has all of the same problems, but he says, God heard me. 
It's a wonderful thing to know that God doesn't turn a deaf ear to the needs of His children. Now notice in verse 3, in this declaration, we see His acknowledgement. He says, For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, and all of thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Now, in this acknowledgement, he is simply saying that I realize that my calamity has come from God. In other words, this is no accident that brought me here. This entire situation has been divinely designed. It's been directed. God has a purpose and a plan in all of it. And the storm and the, the sailors and the fish and absolutely everything are a part of God's plan, and He's using all of these things as instruments in His hand. And Jonah's acknowledging that. Now he sees the hand of God in every one of these details. And notice his attention in verse number 4. It says, I am cast out of thy sight. Now remember, he had turned away from God, right? He was running in the opposite direction of God, doing exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. And now he says, I am cast out of thy sight. He has nobody to blame but himself. And then he says, I will look again, I will look again toward thy holy temple. Suddenly, his attention is turned from Tarshish to the temple. Remember, he's dead set on going to Tarshish instead of going to Nineveh like God told him to do. So he has his sight set on Tarshish. But now because of this experience, his focus is on the temple. This is his way of saying, Now you cast me out of your sight. I was running away from you. And now my eyes are firmly fixed upon God. Listen, that's where it should have been all along. His focus should have been on the Lord, but he lost sight of that, and he's running from God, and now God did what was necessary to get his attention, and now he says, my eyes are on the temple. I'm thinking about the house of God. I've heard so many people over the years having gone through difficulties in their life, saying, you know, if God ever gets me out of this, I'm going to be back in church. You can bet on it. I miss being there. I need to be there. You know, I rebelled against God. Every story is different, of course. But so many times I've heard people say, you know, I got out of the will of God. I dropped out of the church for this problem or that problem, whatever the reason is, you know. I got out of church. And now God brought all of this into my life, and now I realize, in fact, I'm yearning to get back into church, back under the sound of the Word, back with the people of God. That's where Jonah is at this point, back to the temple. And notice his account now as he tells us what happened. Verse 5, he says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Now, I know nobody else here ever had an experience exactly like Jonah. But a lot of us have had to hit rock bottom before we looked up and turned to God. He says, I went down. And sometimes we have to hit bottom before we look up. Verse 7, 
when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. You know, I, I can't help uh, but wonder uh, what he might have remembered about the Lord. That's an interesting thought to me. What was he thinking about in regards to God? Well, one thing is sure, Jonah knew that God alone could deliver him. And because of his prayer, he believed that God was going to do that. He's at rock bottom. You can't go any lower than this. Notice he says here he went to the bottoms of the mountains. I mean, that's a long way down. We're talking about mountains out in the sea. And, I mean, the whale took him to the bottoms of the mountains. And down there, down there in that lonely place, He's communing with the Lord. How wonderful it would be if we would stay in fellowship with God without ever needing to be placed in a situation like that. You know, there's so many times that we see our loved ones in need and naturally we, we want to rescue them. We want to help them. We want to run to their aid, don't we? Every parent knows exactly what I'm talking about. But sometimes in our effort to help people, we end up enabling them. Sometimes the only way for people to get help is for them to, first of all, be hurt. Hurt so badly that they get desperate enough that they turn to God. And that's what we see going on here. Now, notice his announcement here. He says, verse number 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jonah's becoming a Bible scholar and a Bible teacher. He's giving out some good information. It's amazing that after we've been through an experience like this, that all of a sudden we want to communicate to others and we want to warn others, don't you make the mistake that I did. Notice, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Talking about deceitful vanities and uh, making an idol out of something other than God. And uh, when they do so, it puts them in a position to where the mercy of God is not available to help them in their time of need. They rob themselves of what they need the most. Then he says, verse 9, but I will sacrifice. So having described his plight, the situation that he's in, having declared his folly, then he dedicates himself to God. He had previously made certain vows and promises to God that he had not kept. But now Jonah has his priorities straight, and now he's longing to get back into fellowship with God and with his people. And, and so this is why he's warning us about these lying vanities. And when we do that, we deprive ourselves of God's mercies. That's a scary thought. The Bible says, you know, that the mercies of the Lord, were it not for them, we, we would be consumed. I mean, the very fact that God withholds the punishment that we deserve uh, in, enables us to keep going. And whenever we lie, when we are deceitful with God, whenever we disobey God, 
all of a sudden God withholds his mercy and makes us suffer the consequences of that. Ananias and Sapphira, you'll remember there in the book of Acts how, you know, they decided the church is in a state of revival. Everybody's giving large sums of money, and so they happened to have some property in Cyprus, and they decided, hey, we're going to jump on this bandwagon, and they sell their property, and they told God that they're going to give all of the money to the church. Now, by the way, God hadn't even told them to do this. There was no stipulation in any way that, you know, that we know about. It was of their own volition they decided that they were going to do this, and it was a good gesture. But some way or another, during the course of events, they decided that, that we're not going to give it all. I don't know what they did with the, uh, you know, with the extra money, but how they used it, but I know they made a big mistake in that they lied to God. They told God they'd do one thing, and they did another, and God killed them both. Now, let me tell you, an unsaved person might have got by with that because their judgment day is coming someday. But for a Christian to lie to God, they are literally, they are literally endangering their lives. And Jonah has experienced this the hard way. He's uh, now trying to warn others. And so he says, now, he says, I will sacrifice. And notice with the voice of thanksgiving. In other words, that's another way of telling us the sacrifice that he gives to God is going to be with gladness and no reluctance involved. And now there's going to be joy, you know, rather than giving grudgingly. The Bible says, God loveth a cheerful giver, and that's where Jonah is. Now, Lord, whatever you want, I'm willing to give it to you, you know, and I'm happy to do so. I'm thankful to be able to do so. And then notice verse 9, I will pay that that I have vowed. That's a smart thing to do. I'm going to pay what I told God I would pay. I'm going to do what I told God that I would do. And then notice this next verse here, the next statement in verse 9. Salvation is of the Lord. The word salvation, of course, means deliverance. And whenever we think about Jonah and deliverance for Jonah was to get out of the belly of the whale and back on dry land. And he is acknowledging the fact that God alone could deliver him. Now, regardless of what kind of deliverance that we're talking about, the same thing is true. Salvation is of the Lord. The only way for us to escape the judgment of sin upon us is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Salvation is in the Lord alone. He is the God of salvation. The only way for us to be delivered from the bondage of sin is where? Through the Lord. The only way for us to be delivered from the temptations that come at us from every direction is to be delivered by the power of the Lord. The only way to escape the dangers around us. You see, every step we take, everything we do, is, is in constant dependence upon God because He is the only one that has the power to deliver us from whatever situation. Now we see in verse number 10 the deliverance. It says, And the Lord spake unto the fish. 
That's just one more example showing how God is in control of creation. Anybody see that commercial? I don't even know what commercial it is, but this fella is out in the desert, and he's buried uh, maybe in quicksand or something about at least halfway up, and there's a cat sitting there, and he's trying to get that cat to go somewhere to get help. Anybody seen that? It happened to be on TV today, and... uh, (laughs) And the cat just sitting there, and I said, typical cat. You know, the cat's probably thinking, hey, dude, go get a dog, you know. I'm not, I'm, and I told Bev, I said, that's why I hate cats. You, you can't get those cats to do anything. You know, you can tell the dog, hey, come here, lay down, roll over, whatever. And that cat just looks at you and does whatever it wants to do. Well, You know, it's amazing how that we can train a dog to do all of those various tricks and what have you. Uh, We think that's amazing. But God's able to communicate with all of the creatures. And, And it's really amazing whenever you think about that God has all of the creation under His control except what? Man. And there's a reason for that. God gave us a free will. And God doesn't violate that. I mean, after all, how could you really love God if you were forced to do so? So God wants you to love Him, but it has to be of your own volition for it to be real, true, genuine love. God wants you to obey Him, but motive matters. But here God spoke to the fish. Uh, You and I could speak to fish all day long and it wouldn't do any good. (laughs) I could tell some fishing stories, but I won't. Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. Now, that, that, that doesn't help. They're not listening to you. But they listen to God. The Lord spake unto the fish, notice, and it vomited out to Jonah upon the dry land. The fish obeyed God when Jonah wouldn't. Should not we who have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Son of God, should not we bow in humble submission to Him when He speaks? Absolutely. Absolutely. We shouldn't need to be badgered into obedience. We shouldn't need to be threatened. We shouldn't even be needed to promise some great reward if we'll do this or that. Just being thankful for the salvation that He provided ought to be all of the motivation that we need. And so He spoke to the fish. The fish vomited Jonah out. But there's something about this. Notice it vomited him out on dry land, not in the water. You know, that must have been a great relief. He didn't even have to swim. I mean, the fish just puked him out right on the shore. And he's on dry ground. Boy, when God delivers you, he does a good job of it. Amen. Now, the you know, man in all of his programs, I'm... You know, I I feel for those going through various 12-step programs for alcohol and drugs and things of that nature. One of the problems with that is that they teach you that, you know, once an alcoholic or once a drug addict, that, that you're always that. 
and, and they teach you for the, for the rest of your life, hi, my name is David, you know, I, I'm a wino, uh, you know. So all, all of your life you're stuck with that stigma and all of your life you're dependent upon that group to keep you going. And let me tell you, when God delivers you, Whatever you used to be, you ain't no more. Amen. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. He delivers you from your former manner of life. You know, the fish could have spit him out out there, and God could have said, Now look, I'm going to get you out of the belly of the whale, but it's about a quarter mile to land. You've got to make it the rest of the way yourself. I've often said whenever God saved me, I'm glad he didn't say, now look, I'm going to save you, but it's going to be a step at a time. You're going to have to move from one bar stool to another to another, getting closer and closer to the door until finally you get out of there. No, when God saved me, he took me out of the honky-tonks. I mean right then. It wasn't a process. It wasn't anything else. But God gave me deliverance from those things I was on dry ground, so to speak. And Jonah is on dry ground now. How we ought to thank God for his deliverance. And it's listen, it's only because of his great mercy. Jonah didn't deserve any of this. Now the question, the question is what will Jonah do now that he has been delivered? We're going to look at that later But a more important question is, what will you do? What will you do as a result of having been delivered from the penalty of sin? Think about that. You'll never have to answer for your sins at the judgment bar of God. Why? Because all of them have been washed away in the blood of the Lamb. You've been delivered from the penalty of sin. You're being delivered from the power of sin. None of us are perfect yet, but day by day, God's giving us victory after victory after victory until finally in that last and glorious day, we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin altogether and to live for eternity in the presence of the one who saved us. What a great God we have. He can deliver you. Remember the old song, He is able to deliver thee? Well, He surely is. Whatever the need, God is able. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you tonight for the promises that you've given, promises that are exceedingly great and precious those promises that assure us that your ear is open unto our cry, that your hand is at the ready to help us in a time of need, that your heart is set upon us and you're concerned about everything that concerns us and we rejoice to know that you're listening to our prayer and and, and to know that you love us to such a great degree that you're not reluctant to help us in our time of need. And so I pray tonight for each and every one as they, as they think about the needs of their life, whether it has to do with salvation or whether it's some battle that's raging in their life, some difficulty they're facing, 
Lord, may we allow those things to bring us to the place of prayer and out of desperation let us pour out our heart to you and then trust you to provide the very thing that we need. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.